This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Moon Unit Zappa, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcasts. Welcome to Pamela DeBar's Pajama Party, a Pantheon podcast. Music, culture, conversation, and good old-fashioned rock and roll. So now, I give you Miss Pamela and her pajama party. Hello, dolls. Pamela Debar here. You know, I do love my last name. It's real pretty. It's better than Miller. I got it from my ex-husband, Michael Debar, and I've decided to keep it forever. <laughs> anyway, I am Pamela Debar, your host today. Um, you are listening to a Pantheon podcast, and I'm very happy to be part of that team. We have so many great musical podcasts for you to listen to, so check them all out. And today I have, you know, I don't know how to introduce this lady. She's my goddaughter, you know, my only goddaughter. I've known her since she was a little over a year old. So this is pretty amazing. I think the only person I've known a little longer is, is Moon Zappa. I met her when she was about six months old. So here today we have Polly Parsons. She is Graham Parsons' only child. And, uh, you know, my darling girl for over 50 years. <laughs> so it's a big thrill to have her here. And her life story is unbelievable. I've been trying to get her to write her memoir forever, and she will one day. And it's going to be a humdinger. But you get to hear some tidbits from her today. So let's welcome Polly Parsons. 
There used to be a gambler who courted all around There used to be a gambler who courted all around He courted pretty Polly, such beauty never been found Pretty Polly, pretty Polly, come go along with me Pretty Polly, pretty Polly, come go along with me Before we get married, some pleasures to see All right! I have here with me someone who is so precious to me, it's indescribable, and I am a writer. Uh, but, you know, I have known her her entire life, minus about a year and four months. I met her when she was barely walking. And today we have here with us Polly Parsons, my Ooh. beloved Graham Parsons' daughter. And I met her when she was a baby, and I was so thrilled to meet her. Her dad called me up. Uh, I had just moved into my first apartment and he, I got a phone call. That's when you actually picked up the phone all the time, but rang, you had to pick it up and <laughs> there were no phone machines or anything. So I picked it up and it was Graham. And he said, my girlfriend, my lady, I think he said, Nancy is in town with our baby Polly. And I wondering if you could babysit for us tonight where I'm going to take Nancy out. And it was like one of the most amazing moments, life-changing really, um, that I can recall. Because first of all, he was going to trust me with his baby, which meant I was a family. I felt part of the family, family member, right? And I got to go hang out up at the burrito house for hours, and which I did quite often after that. They had, Chris and Graham had just moved into this big new house on Nichols Canyon, and La Castaña. And it was a big ranch house with a big fireplace. So I went up there, hung out, met Nancy, uh, Polly's mother, and hung out with them for a little bit. And they and then he took her out. And I was there with this little baby. <laughs> and I'd only been around uh, the Zappa children. I really was not around kids much. And I remember saying in my book, uh, this is one baby I really wanted to get to know. <laughs> so today we have Polly with us and I've known her all her whole life. That's pretty amazing to say, right? It absolutely is amazing to say. And, and what a life it's been. I mean, as crazy as my life has been growing up and, and being blessed enough to ask you to be my godmother, um, has been one of the greatest gifts of my life. But as crazy as my life has been, yours has been fabulous and amazing and awe-inspiring. And I feel like the luckiest girl in the world, to be honest. So it's an absolute oh. pleasure to join you and say hi to everybody out there. And I'm just really, really, really grateful to be here. Polly's story is so incredible. I've been trying to get her to write a book, but uh, and, you know, she's She's got a lot of notes and things, but she hasn't actually sat down to write this book yet. However, in a little while, uh, I'm going to ask her to read a piece that she wrote in the very first writing workshop she came to in Austin, and it was at her house. And uh, I have a big group of writers in Austin, and almost all of them were weeping. Am I right? When you, when you finish reading that? 
And I had no, to say, I had never written anything in my entire life. And that, and, that, and that sounds silly and cliche, but it's actual fact. I so it, it was a little, it was, it was shocking because I have no idea. I had no idea until that moment that there's actually a different spirit that comes through when you, when you literally put pen to paper. Yes. Like you I allow was, it. You allowed I had, it. I had no, you gave us permission and, and, mm. and you prompted us not to edit or think. And so right. I just, I just did, I just did those two things and, and I was, I <laughs> you was, followed the rules right away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I understood the assignment. Yes. And, and you completed this assignment and there was, I mean, there were probably 15 or 16 of us that night and no one spoke afterwards. It was like, what, what just happened? Anyway, she's going to read that in a little bit, but while, while I'm on this topic, I'm going to, I'm going to invite people to my writing workshops. I have writing workshops on zoom and all over the place. So if you're interested in them, all you fabulous listeners, you know, find me on my website, PamelaDebarOfficial.com, and I will get back to you about it. Can I just say something real quick? Yeah, of course. I am in the house right now doing this podcast with you from Austin, Texas. Yep. And daddy just came on the radio. <laughs> what song? That's all I took. That's all it took. That's all it took. Oh, the mention of your name. Mm-hmm. Well, wow. I don't even know where to start with you. We call that Graham magic. Yes, it happens a lot, right? It does happen a lot. It happens whenever moments like this happen. He always pokes in and says, hi, I'm here. I know. You know, he is a present spirit because of some, I've lost so many friends, right? I mean, they, they've, I've reached the ripe old age of 73. <laughs> so I've lost a lot of people, a lot of loved ones, but not all of them are present like he is because I feel him all the time. Right. I do too. And I, well, of course you would, but I talk to him, you know, I say, I speak to him a lot and mm-hmm. I promised him after he passed away, which was hell. I, I went to Joshua tree first of many, many, many trips and slept in the room he died in and sent him all this healing, love, energy, and light and all that stuff. And I promised him that night I would perpetuate his music. Mm-hmm. And it's something I do. I really believe I've done that. I I believe you have done that. And I think that's really, I I have to, I have to just acknowledge you for a second. I know there's many of us that have had people in our lives that have passed on and to have the presence of mind to take a moment and drive hours to go uh, pay respect and send love and actually be in the space of where that person left this planet just that just the fact that you had the presence of mind to set forth and carry through that intention I think says a lot not only about who you are but really um is a just a, a beautiful reminder of how even when we lose people and we aren't able to be there during their passing that however we carry out the next phase of remembrance or um honoring is is and can be a lifetime of potency just in that one effort and it doesn't have to be anything complicated it can just be yeah. 
doing exactly what you did. And I, I just, I always love remembering that, that literally within days of his passing, you just got in the car and went and, and communed with him in the only way or in the best way that you could in the moment that you had. And I just want you to know that, that, that has always been with me. Thank you, honey. Well, you and I went and stayed in room eight. I have to tell you, I have the first time you, yeah. yeah. So you brought me there for the very first time. And, and I had never gone before. I, I did not heal quite honestly. I, I did not heal the, the, uh, the trauma of my father's death till I was in my thirties, I denied it and stuffed it and drank it and drugged it to the point in order to avoid having to do the work. Uh, and with that, you know, dot, 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 um, when I finally did feel like I trusted someone enough, which was you, I allowed myself to go to Joshua Tree and stay in that room with you. And then for years after that, it felt like coming home. And people ask me about this and they say, oh, don't you think it's morbid that you, anybody would stay in that room? And I'm like, you know, I don't know what to tell you. All I know is that it feels like the guest room at my father's home. Like it feels like, it feels like literally It feels like the guest room of like his home in Laurel Canyon. Like it feel, I feel him there, not necessarily in the room. I feel him at Cap Rock strongest. Yes. yes, The the presence of, he loved it there. He was his favorite place to be. So it doesn't matter if he passed on there. He also lived fully there. Exactly. And it gives me like, the little girl inside me finds comfort that there is an actual place I can go to. Yes. Yes. And check in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. it took me 40 years or whatever to go to his actual grave because I knew he didn't want to be there. Right. You know, that's not where he wanted to be. He did want to be in Joshua tree and that wild Phil Kaufman, you know, tried to, you know, make his wishes come true by taking him out there, setting his body on fire, the casket and all that stuff, which people play up too much, right? I mean, you must agree with that. People. I'm okay. 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 I'll give you that. But I have to ask you, how can you not play that up? That's a, that it, it is an up thing. Well, it did happen. His best friends brought him out to the desert and made him into a literal bonfire. That's not not (laughs) that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how people through the years have said, but wasn't he he's the guy whose body was burned out in the desert? That's what I mean by playing it. That's okay, you know. Yeah. And and when he passed on, because he was not very well known. Exactly. that's what they talked about and it was okay but what you prefer they talk about if they if he wasn't well known what were the options his music i i was hoping and which it did cause attention to him at least exactly yeah i think i think that graham went out exactly the way he was supposed to (laughs) i think that he loves all of the fanfare and bonfire magic i think that it's important to remember now that all of that craziness has happened and thank you very much. It has introduced millions of people to his music that flash in the night 
yes has has brought true listeners and true fans to his music through that crazy story so i'm yeah, down with yeah. it yeah yeah and i think it's really important for me to remind the world of the magic he created in such a short time he yes. knew exactly what he was doing within yes, a six yes, or seven year span the 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 amount of music that he put out into the world was like he was on a mission and he was in a hurry and i will never stop feeling that he knew he wasn't here for long and he had a he had a lot of work to do in a very short time and he went out the way he came in I agree, and I and I'm not demeaning that experience at all. At all, I don't think you are. Yeah. No, no, no. And I, I, I went are. to the eulogy, and I, <laughs> I still have the T-shirt and the 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 beer bottle, the grand pilgrimage stuff. You know, I feel about that whole party and the whole Phil Kaufman thing. The way you feel about the burning of the like the Phil Kaufman and the burning of the coffin in Joshua Tree. For some reason, I, I, I'm down with that. That's very rock and roll, and I love it. <laughs> the whole making money to pay for I I don't know well, how I feel about all that. Well, he was trying to make money just to pay for his and Michael's, you know, the roadie who was helping uh, him take the body to the desert. They oh, got big. They got in big trouble. So they that that, oh. that was to pay their uh, attorney fees and stuff. Oh, okay. Yes. I, didn't, I didn't. I don't think I. I think deep down I knew that, but I wasn't sure. Yeah, that's what it was for. But it was, it was morbid. It was a little morbid. Um, but I was there for Phil. I wanted to go, but you know he had that guy who sings the Monster Mash there, and he sang the Monster Mash. So he was trying to make it into. I don't know. Almost you know, to be like. funny about it. And let me yes, ask yes. let me ask you a serious question here. I don't I have reached out in very sad, sad times to Phil Kaufman to try to fill in gaps of yes. my life and yeah. my relation to my father. Because he, all I know as the daughter of Graham Parsons, large amounts of, of what I know are not the things that matter but are are the parts I've had to fill in and and he has not been willing to talk to me ever ever and it breaks my heart I know and That's I don't understand it. and and finally someone said to me well you know he says you're not Graham's daughter exactly and I'm like okay that's fine when when I was little, if you're not sure. Yeah. yeah. You know, whatever. <laughs> I mean, I have my birth certificate. I know my father's sick, whatever. But now <laughs> you can look at me and my child. And if you know Graham Parsons, then you're just certifiably insane. So what's the excuse now is my question. <laughs> I, I think he knows he fucked up and when he wrote in the book that you weren't his child and he's embarrassed he would you never admit that or maybe 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 i'm just being a little a little girl about it 
you know, and maybe I shouldn't care. Like, of course he doesn't want to talk to me. Who cares if he doesn't want to talk to me? Why does it matter so much? And I'll tell you why in my humanness it mattered because for whatever reason, I didn't have a, I didn't have parents, right? Dad died and my mom mentally checked out the second my dad died. So I was out here in the wilderness and I guess I thought of Emmy Lou and Phil like an aunt and uncle. Yeah. (laughs) To be honest. Well, well, that does make sense. It does make sense. Unfortunately, you and I lost touch for a while. And that, you know, I, I, my, one of my regrets, but it was impossible to find you was that I wasn't there for you during your early teen years, you know, those years. Oh, I was a hellion. But, I, you would have been so, you would have been so over me so fast. No, I would have been able to help you during that very difficult time, which I finally did. We reconnected. Well, first I, I lost touch after yes. your father died. Your mom disappeared. You, you, you were raised in boxcars and shit. I mean, it's unbelievable your story. So it has to be told, but because your mother thought she was, even though he was married to Gretchen and now in love with Emmy Lou Harris, she thought she was going to get him back. She always believed he would be, he would come back. So when he couldn't come back and checked out completely, that's when she had a mental breakdown, which continued through the years and made your childhood absolute hell. But it also created who you are today. This amazing woman, you know, such an entrepreneur. And I have total faith in you. It's like, oh, Polly, oh, she can do anything. And I really believe that. But it was hard. I know how hard it was. And so I saw you once after your father had only been gone about a year, right? At the Renaissance Fair, where... And, and you were all dressed up like a little gypsy. There's a really fabulous photo of you from that time frame, dressed up like a little gypsy. And I recognized you and I hadn't seen you since you were about two, two and a half or something. And you were eight or nine there, nine maybe. And I went, oh my God, is your name Polly? I can still see it. It was so cute. And you took me to see your mom and I could see she was pretty spaced out. And, that, and that's the last... I saw you until, who who told you about the book? Somebody told you I'd written about you in the book, right? Somebody called me. I was I was literally like twenty one, going on twelve. Yes. And somebody <laughs> called me and said, "I'm reading this book," and this lady said that she used to be your babysitter, and I was like, "What?" And she read me the passage of your book where you talk mm-hmm. about babysitting little Polly. Mm-hmm. and and you talked about my eyes and how much you loved Graham and Nancy and I was like she's talking about things that no one would know unless yeah. she was there yeah and so of course I called my my mother and I was like who is this woman why don't I know who she is why did you never tell me about her w- what is this and she goes oh yeah that's Miss Pamela she was a big part of our lives when you were a child and she used to babysit you. And I was like, well, thanks for that. And I hung up and I thought to myself, how am I going to find this woman? And so I wrote a letter to your publisher and I said, I know you don't know who I am, but if this doesn't sound (laughs) too crazy, I would love to know if this is true. And if it is, could you please tell Miss Pamela that I reached out? 
And the next thing you knew, you reached out and I just said to you, I'm really sorry. I have no idea who you are. And <laughs> I would really love to meet you. And we set up a date and time to have lunch. And that was the beginning of the first mother daughter relationship I've ever had in my life. And oh, I was 30. No, I was 21. Oh yeah. You were very young still. And yeah. you hadn't heard a lot of your dad's music because once you're, no, your mother I wouldn't talk yeah. about him. Your mother would not talk about him. I guess it was just too painful for her. And you knew very little about your dad until we connected. I remember the first time I sat down I can still see it. I can see a lot of these things with you because they're so important. Um, we sat down at the dining room table and I played you the International Submarine Band for the first time. I mean, yeah. that the, those memories to me are so exquisite. And I'm glad we got to share those things. But then you got into your dad. It took a while because well, I, I mean, right. It took you a little while to really go there. <laughs> I couldn't go there. I didn't know how I would get out if I couldn't handle it. I didn't know I was terrified because I could, you know, I just didn't know how to handle myself. I didn't know how to handle those feelings. I didn't know. I hadn't processed the grief. I hadn't processed not having a, you know, I was such a, I was just a shit show. To be honest with you, I, I was I was angry and confused and lost and and immature and ridiculous and just trying to survive. And then all of a sudden, oh, by the way, you're Graham Parsons daughter and you should probably know everything there is to know about Graham, because when you're asked a question, you need to be the authority. And I was like, oh, fuck, no, I can't handle that. I can yeah. barely brush my teeth on a good day. So, <laughs> oh, Polly. It's true. I, know. I, 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 was... I remember you lived with me for a while there. There's so much more to say, but let's take a quick break and we'll be right back, dolls. All right, we're back. Polly. It I also, I think deep down in my heart knew that I wasn't going to be willing to open that Pandora's box without a guide that was seriously authentic and vetted by my father. And mm -hmm. I knew it would, in my heart, I knew it would either be you or Emmy Lou. And those are the only two people I was going to take it from. And, and, and in she, the end, you yeah. are the two women that educated me the most at very different times in my life. Finally, I got to, I bonded with you forever and you raised me. And then in my later life, I finally got to bond with Emmy Lou and understand the other side of the woman in my father's life, the other important life partner to my father, which, yes. which I truly believe is yeah. and will always be Emmy Lou. I believe that was, uh, a, that was taking off. It was still early stages. They were falling in love. It was that period. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's stunningly beautiful and tragic and oh yeah. Oh. Lovely and heartbreaking and 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 
what a beautiful body of love they gave to the world, you know, in their in their pairing, in their in their time together. Well, why don't we hear one of their songs right now? You know, the funny thing is, is that dad is still playing on the radio for whatever reason at my house. So I'm listening to them, but let's do it. <laughs> oh, Lord, stay with us. Won't you scratch my itch, sweet Annie Rich? Welcome me back to town. Come out on your porch, you step into your parlor, and I'll tell you how it all went down. Out with the truckers and the kickers and the cowboy angels, and a good saloon and every single town. Yes, and I remembered something you once told me, and I'd be damned if it did not come true. Yes, they certainly <laughs> sang well together. She she could, you know, he wasn't an easy singer because he was so emotional. And you you it was I, I bet she had a, her voice was so pure and crystalline and all of that that I'm sure you know she was she was able to follow his emotional voice, which I admit it was pretty incredible. I, you know, what I noticed is, is, and I've also heard, but I can feel, I can feel my dad now in a very different way when I watch him in video and I can see him literally giving, you know, I'm okay. Sorry. Let me set this up a little better. So I'm a, I'm a dancer and I love couples dancing, like tango and Argentinian tango and salsa. And I've done, I've just, it's, it's a passionate thing that I've done for my whole life. Right. When you dance with a truly, truly gifted partner, they communicate with you through tiny movement pulsations through the palms of your hands. And that literally mm -hmm. guides your entire body into a fully different move just by a fraction of a pressure of a, of an inch into your palm. Yes. With that said, dad would say that the minute he sat down with Emmy Lou and sang with her for the first time, all he had to do was lift his chin ever so slightly and she would go up mm -hmm. in the nose. Mm -hmm. And he would look at her in her eyes and wipe mm -hmm. his eyes and she would know to go bigger. And, and how they taught, how he taught her to harmonize was literally she was completely automatically tied to his intuitional mm -hmm. art, you know that part of his artistry well, uh, you can hear from, it. from yeah I just I know that I just really jacked up that explanation no. but in my heart it it made total sense I mean I totally get it <laughs> yeah oh boy oh Gosh, we could. Well, I want to talk about your new venture. That's a really important thing. I want to hear all oh, about God. it. It's, yeah, it's, I, I, that's, it's the, it's so exciting to me. Okay, so I don't even know where to start. To be honest with you, sound as ever, sound mm -hmm. as ever is is the name of of this new project I'm working on, and it is literally 
a, a culmination of, of my entire life's work and my entire understanding of my lineage, past, present, and future with my father. It's part, it's part memoir. It's part, you know, Moroccan bazaar. It's just the most beautiful thing in the world. And basically, to put it succinctly, sound as ever is how daddy used to sign off on his letters instead of using the word sincerely, right? Exactly. So, so he, he was very, very into handwritten letters. He would type them or he would handwrite them. And he was very prolific in his, in his willingness to, to communicate back and forth via regular post. Yes. Well, he signed all of his handwritten letters, sound as ever, Graham. Mm-hmm. And that became the name of this new project I'm doing just absolutely naturally. And it just gives me a lump in my throat right now. But basically what, what it is, is sound as ever is an online marketplace. And there's goods that are basically divided into two parts. The first part are products that we or I have designed and created specifically for this company. The second part are beautiful, beautiful goods that have been designed and curated by me with artisans uh, that we wanted to support. So artisans from all over the world that you know me, I've always been drawn to things that very much have to do with how I grew up while my dad was alive, while Nancy was still healthy. I grew up on a commune, a lot of people don't know. And after dad died, I moved to a place called Sunnybrook Farm in Santa Barbara. And I lived there for, you know, that was just part of my journey. My, my, my father was extremely nomadic he loved to travel and share stories. He loved to bring a record player under his arm and a stack yes. of records. Everyone yes. talks about it, including yes. <laughs> Keith Richards and the Rolling Stones. I mean, dad was just, he was a messenger, right? Yes. And so I knew in this next phase of my life that it was absolutely imperative for me to bond into my father's world in a way that not only felt communal to me, it felt, it felt right. And it, I feel this huge need of, of the people in my atmosphere in my world and all over the world to be more communicating with each other, to be more, to, to find a closeness and a commonality now more than ever. We're seeking community. We're starting to realize that all this separateness and all of this um, commercialism and, and you know, it, it's just, it's ringing really hollow now more yes. so than it ever has in the past. Yes, yes, I agree. And I just, started to really vibe with people that were making sound decisions for the planet, for each other, for their homes um, that felt 
raw and authentic and organic and they felt like and we I, we have a whole series in this in this you know marketplace that we've created with sound as ever called items of attunement right mm-hmm. and what does that mean it means that i don't want to just go out into the world of consumerism and and just thrash stuff more for the sake of buying things i want to purchase something that means something on multiple levels if i'm gonna spend money on it i want it to have heart does that make sense yeah it sure does and if i have that opportunity i'm not always gonna have that opportunity yeah but, but sometimes i will connect with with somebody's vision Hi, Daddy. Daddy is still playing on the radio. Don't How is that me. possible? <laughs> what channel do you have on? I think it's it must be my Spotify. So I guess the the idea here is every single thing that I'm doing with this with this online marketplace not only gives back, right? Mm-hmm. It, everything has a, a reason. Portions of everything goes back into the cycle of something else all everything has intention including you know the stuff that has to happen like the packaging i mean i'm just trying to do something correct and and right and from the heart and it feels really good and i'm writing my stories about graham and nancy and how they relate to the things that i chose okay good right yeah yeah can, can you give me just like two examples of something that people will be able to buy on that website of yours? Oh, I know it sounds so silly and trite and it's so not to me. There's so much love and depth to this, but one of the examples would be um, <laughs> you're going to, you're going to laugh at this probably, but that's okay. I mixed, I'm a really, I'm really into atmosphere. I don't like overhead light. I'm very particular about, you know, how warm a room is atmospherically, not temperature. I know what you mean. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure I get this from my dad because our house, the house up on Mulholland or Laurel Canyon, whichever one that was, it was just always covered in like moss green velvet and just really, really warm amber candlelight everywhere. Like, that's what I remember. Mm-hmm. So we created this really beautiful series of candles based on my sensory, um, my sensory smell profiles from throughout my life. So like one of them is called Sunriser mm-hmm. and I based it on mornings in Laurel Canyon, right? Nice. When, smell right the cannabis coming through the bedroom windows and and the guitar all the acoustic guitars you could hear throughout the canyon in the morning and the sandalwood or the you know mom always had stargazer lilies everywhere and so right so each candle each vessel each candle is created from an amalgamation of scents that that surrounded that world for us in the 70s or 60s mm-hmm. and then the vessel transforms after you're done with the candle into a series of really beautiful whiskey glasses oh nice right 
Yeah. And we we were lucky enough to curate. The, I don't know if you know what whiskey stones are, but they're uh, actual natural stones that are shaped into ice cubes, and you put <laughs> them in the freezer, and they don't water down your whiskey because they're rocks, right? <laughs> well, Ooh. nice. We cur- we curated them from a quarry in the Mo- in Joshua Tree, like oh. right outside the desert. Very cool, so, honey. Yeah, it's like yeah. that's what I mean. Everything has meaning and depth, and yeah. it's very sensory gifting. It, uh-huh. It's more of an experiential thing, I guess. Is what wow, I'm, I'm so proud of you as always. Holly keeps re you know, she reinvents herself every few years. <laughs> it's really a quite a sight to behold, I'll tell you. And she's gorgeous for those of you who don't know what she looks like. <laughs> Honey, let's let's talk a little bit about the concert you did for your dad. Okay. Yeah. How did that you know come about? First of all, I, I want everybody to know about it. It's on a it's on DVD. Is it available for people to get? Amazon, they can get it on. I think they can get it on Amazon still. Um, okay. It's called uh, Return of the Grievous Angel. Mm-hmm. No, Return it- to Sin City. Return to Sin City, yeah. Yeah, Return and, to Sin City. And uh, it's uh, a tribute to Graham Parsons. A tribute to Graham Parsons and the people she lined up and the stories she could tell about that. I was her, in quotes, assistant at that event. <laughs> That's the only way they would let me get you. I know. It was was a two night event uh, at the Universal Amphitheater, right? Universal Amphitheater and And, my hometown, the Santa Barbara Bowl. And the the Santa Barbara Bowl. And it was so amazing, this event. And of course, I had really great seats because I was Polly's assistant. (laughs) And I remember... Well, you tell the story, honey. No, tell me what you remember. I'm, I, I, well, I'm, I mean, I remember how hard you worked on it, how how many hours you spent on the phone with Keith Richards, you know, a person. <laughs> uh, I mean, how long. Jane is lovely. I know, I know, but I know she helped make it happen. But she it did. took a lot of energy from you to get Keith Richards there. Two I years. Mean, was, yeah, two years of she, she worked on this show. To, she really wanted Keith there. And because well, he, how could I possibly do it without Keith? I wasn't going to. Yeah. And you know, the funny part is, is that this was not an idea in my head until I was standing in front of him. I met him for the first time, October 31st, right. 2003. Yeah. I had just done a sh- all of the healing around my father. I had gone to Joshua tree. I had stayed in his room. I listened to all the records. I did all the journaling. I did all the therapeutic work around it. I was just ready to heal. And anyone that has had to do hard work around anything knows that that's kind of an an onion peeling process there's always more layers yeah um and the first layer is is really hard and pretty crumbly and kind of gross and then you go and you go (laughs) deeper and you go deeper and you go deeper and finally I got to this layer of of the healing onion I guess we can call it and that layer was all right now you know who you are now you know what your job is, which is to uh, 
correctly and respectfully uh, perpetuate your le- your father's legacy. You are his only true blood. You are his only child. And no one else is going to be able to do this the way you could. So you better step up. What are you going to yep. do? Yeah, I remember that real well when you said, okay, here we this go. This guy is my dad, man. Yep. <laughs> and I, I, oh, I, I, I went from a shriveling, insecure wreck to owning it and going, yeah. how can I be of service to this, to this man and his yeah. music? Yep. And I, the, the one thing I had noted while I had been avoiding my, my, my job in this way, my daughterhood in this way, was that no one had done a proper tribute that really encompassed everybody on a bigger scale than just a small venue uh, tribute. Yeah. So I thought, well, what the heck? I mean, what's the worst that can happen? I can try, I can fail, or I can try and it might work out. And I was at that point at a very high level of the career I was in. And I had just gotten the biggest promotion of my life. And I walked into my new boss and I said, with tears in my eyes, I am sorry, but I cannot work for you anymore because I need to do this. I need to do something and it's important and it's for my father and I have to leave. And he looked at me and went, I'm sorry, what? And I walked out that day and I picked up the phone and I thought, how am I going to reach anybody that would be willing, that would be, would have the gravitas to make a tribute concert feel appropriately uh, weighty? And I said, well, who would I want? I would want Dwight Yoakam. I would want Emmy Lou. I would want Keith Richards. I love Steve Earle. Lucinda Williams is genius. There's so many people influenced by dad. Yep. And so much of the music 15, 20 years ago was so heavily being tinged with so much grand magic. And now I had a, a full head of, I mean, I was his daughter my whole life and I knew that. But I was now, I was now ready. And so I thought, how am I going to find these people? So I picked up the phone and I called the, the actors union. And I said, my name's Polly Parsons and I'm a producer and I would like to cast Dwight Yoakam in a movie and I need his phone number. <laughs> and she gave it to me. And I went, holy shit. <laughs> uh, well, that's that's who you are. You just, you, you make things happen. You, you don't think too much about it, really. You just yeah, say, I, know. Okay, I don't know how smart that is. <laughs> you just say, okay, I'm going to do this. Right. I'm make this happen. And it does, you know. It's, you, you do, considering everything you've been through, you have a lot of self-love, self-belief, self-belief. Yeah, you do, honey. Otherwise, you couldn't accomplish the stuff you've done. I don't think, you know what I think it is, though, sweetheart? I, I, I don't even, I don't think it has anything to do with me personally. I think that I'm a curious spirit and I'm excited to try. You know what I mean? Like, I'm curious. I'm fucking curious. Yeah. 
<laughs> yes. What are they going to say? Who knows? Why don't you try? And, and, and so that world of those concerts just kept happening like that. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. got a hold of Dwight Yoakam's people and I said, this is Polly. And I'm, I'm thinking about doing a tribute concert. I, I would just, I would love it if you would please just consider it. And they said, well, send us, uh, send us this, you know, a, a, a bunch of information about what you're thinking. And I hung up and went, I have no idea what I'm thinking. <laughs> so I just kept putting one foot in front of the other. And the next thing you know, it got picked up by the blessed Moss Jacobs, who was that at that time, the lead producer of the Santa Barbara Bowl through Golden Voice. And he mm -hmm. was a Graham fan and he thought I was just crazy enough to pull this off. And <laughs> he was, he got behind me and he didn't know me, you know, from Adam. And then because he got, because he believed he got house of blues to believe. And then it, and then Shyla, my sweet best friend from many, many years, we were high school mates together. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, it just magic kept happening. And then finally it was time to ask Keith. Yeah. And I thought the only way this is going to work is if I, if I, is if I get to meet him someday and, and I got to meet him and his manager saved me as a surprise. She, mm. I thought I didn't know this, but she didn't know I was, he didn't know I was coming. Oh, wow. She trotted me in backstage and said, Keith, this is Graham Parsons daughter, Polly. And he turned around and he made a beeline for me. And he, and I was shocked because I just realized at that moment that he didn't know I was going to be there. Oh. Put my whole face in his hands and he pulled my face to his face and he said you're the last little bit of gram on the planet oh. he kissed me on the cheek i know he, he it was amazing that he showed up i mean and 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 i know you had to have his dressing room and his hotel room all decorated like morocco and yeah. i remember him walking in and putting his fist up and saying one love yeah one love to everybody and yeah. I got to be right there because I was your assistant and it was, it, it was an incredible experience now. And, and I want the people to know, I mean, there's, there's a duet with, with Keith and Nora Jones, man, that you guys have to see. So if you guys aren't familiar with this amazing DVD, please seek it out. Produced by Polly Parsons, my goddaughter. Yeah. Beautiful goddaughter. And now her daughter, Harper Lee, is my yeah. great, great goddaughter. So, wow. It's a real honor to be able to say that. Yeah, she's turning 16 next week. I know. It's just crazy talk. This is the first time I've ever, ever, ever spoken this like this on 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 any form of of anywhere and and no. i would never ever do this for anyone but miss pamela um but i do want to say that i apologize if i if i if i sound um you know like a like a like a sore sport i don't mean to um we pamela and i could really really get into so many chapters oh. of this conversation yes that would help you uh, to understand more of the layers of the of the years and relationships and um, misfires and and funny funny never happenings that turned us all into who we are today regarding these the the subject of Graham Nancy and his their daughter Polly. Um, 
but I don't want to sound by any means like I'm, I'm uh, not incredibly touched and grateful and not acutely aware of the huge responsibility I have um, to be um, a voice and, 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 a, and a, per, a person that loves and, and creates space for Graham's music to continue to grow. And um, I just want to make sure that I make that clear. Well, why don't we hear, like, for instance, uh, you, some of your favorites. One of them is the $1,000 wedding dress. And I was there for that entire story. That's um, an fun. You and I could do this for a few weeks. I know. I know. I was there for that entire story. I know why that song was written. I know who it was written about. I know everything about it. But we're not going into that. But we're going to play it for people. So we can hear one of Polly's favorite songs by her father, Graham Parsons. And the Flying Burrito Brothers. Was a thousand dollar wedding supposed to be held the other day? And with all the invitations sent, the young bride went away. When the groom saw people passing notes Not unusual, he might say But where the flowers for my baby I'd even like to see her mean old mama Ah, uh, so God, I love that song. It's just such an amazing amazing true story so in a nutshell uh graham and nancy were set to get married and uh graham had nancy's wedding dress made by nudie's rodeo taylor yep for a thousand dollars that was a lot back then <laughs> that was a lot back then and it was mm -hmm. full white rhinestone nudie gown yeah and it <clears throat> they broke up just before the wedding and what a tragic, tragic, sweet, sweet song that is. Well, I, the reason that he called her from the road, see, I, I was sitting there. He called her from the road and said, I'm canceling the wedding dress. Right. And that's yeah. why she, she did what she did, which we don't need to talk about. And they broke up. But yeah, he called her from the road and um, that was it. They broke up and the wedding dress was never actually finished or anything. No, but it does exist from what I hear. It's in a vault somewhere, which is very, very exciting. If you're a, if you're a, you, you know, think it really is. I really do think it Ooh. is. Yeah, okay. I really do. Well, while we're on the topic of Nancy, do you want to read that piece that you wrote in class? Oh gosh, that's heavy. Are you sure oh, you're I, well? Uh, it, it it gives a little insight into your you know your difficult childhood. Okay, um, guys. So here goes. I, I I am a very very happy human. Just so you know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this might sound a little different, but she is. And, yeah, I really am. Yeah, <laughs> I, I actually ended up being mildly well adjusted, which is shocking. <laughs> I know it's incredible. Okay. Oh, I think I had a part in that. Yes, you did. You had a huge part in that, Miss Pamela. 
Uh, so this was the very first piece I ever wrote in, and it just happened to be uh, Miss Pamela invited me to a writing class uh, in 2006 in Austin, Texas. And I showed up and I literally didn't think I, I was gonna be capable of staying through the whole thing. And this was the first uh, prompt that she gave us was, was you know, something about what was one of one of your most vivid memories. And your childhood is, memories, yeah. One of your most vivid childhood memories. And this is what I wrote. My mother is a geisha. Her hair is long and black. She wears it like a cloak of armor. It is her finest asset. She has a large chair that sits in every room of every home we have ever had. This is her chair. This is where she sits, judge, jury, and executioner. She is highly skilled at the art of the pleasure of men. She is royalty and demands respect and high praise from all who enter her atmosphere, like small planets whooshing by an absorbent sun. I can smell her sleeping from the darkness under her bed where I lay. I yearn to touch her, to be close to her, to feel her warmth, but I am not allowed. So I wait, counting the cinder blocks that make up the base of her sleeping chamber. I am covered in old sheets. I can smell her perfume, picture the red and blue of the midnight Chinese silk that caresses her skin. Morning comes and while she can't hear me, I crawl up on the bed to be near her beauty. My father is a distant sadness, a fallen warrior of the highest honor. And my mother mourns his death above my life. And so it is. Ragged and worn, shredded and tattered, alone and forgotten. Now my mother waits to die. Long gone are her opportunities to have mastered an art form worth having. Strangely, she sits alone under her bed that she made from the silk that once was the excrement of worms. Polly, no, that, that still gives me chills. I just had chills all up and down. All up and down. Yeah, yes. And I know that I mean, you know, I've heard it many times now, and it's just so beautiful and so the, the, the visuals, you know, as since I know her, of course, and knew her then and everything. But even even the people who wouldn't know who she is or anything about it could picture those. That I mean, it was just exquisite, honey. Thank you, sweetheart. <sighs> and I really appreciated how detached. I was because that's a true story. I did sleep under her bed. I, I, I was not allowed to sleep with her for, I had a skin condition, but anyway, so it is, it, all of that is a true story. Yeah. So I really appreciated the fact that I didn't feel pain when I wrote it. Yeah. I, I felt like an onlooker and yeah. somebody that would survive her. Wow. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's, it's a, uh, well, you were reflecting on the past, but you also allowed yourself, like I, I demand in class, to, to get your, your, your ego out of the way and let this stuff channel through. I mean, 
which you are able to do. You're always able to do that in your writing. And maybe it's because you've had to be out of body sometimes. An observer. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, when I went to therapy a few times when I was young, the do, the therapist looked at me and she said, you're one of the 1%. And I said, what is the 1%? And she <laughs> said, we have found through studies that there's 1% of children that go through the level of trauma that you went through and the, and the 1% that survives into adulthood and actually thrives, they all have one thing in common. And that is they never, for whatever reason, took the abuse personally. Wow. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. They never turned it inward and said, this is my fault. If if I was better, you would love me different. It never dawned on me to do that. Like I would look at all of this stuff that was going on around us and I'd go, okay, you're fucked up. I I need to go ahead and remove myself from this situation. (laughs) Eventually. (laughs) eventually, No, no, no. No, I mean, situationally, like I never, oh, "Oh, you're abusing me because I'm a bad girl. So I I guess guess it's just a luck of the draw, but I, I, I really, I find, find that fascinating and I, I love it when people hear we can do hard things. We can yes, feel we can hard. do we can do hard things, and you've done a lot of hard things. We and all have. We all have yes, and yeah, you're very you're, hard. Things. You're thriving. You're thriving. Well, all humans go through that. It's it's what we have to do to get better at being who we are. Well, you know, the, you know? That, that that is so very true. And another thing that I always say, and I mean this with all my heart, pain doesn't get more painful. Mm. Your pain, my pain, it's the yes. same pain. Yes. yes. Every listener yeah. out there is should, a courageous yeah. warrior that has yeah. gone through the exact same level of pain. It's just that our stories have different chapters. But yes, the exactly. Yeah. That, that, ju- that, that, that resonates off the page of all of our stories is the same pain. Yep. And we get to, you know, we get to start anew and try again and stay curious and yeah, stay curious. So important. Yeah. It's all important. And I, I love you. And I'm, I'm, I'm gratefully embarrassed because I've never done this before. So I feel like a schmuck. (laughs) What are you talking about? We're having a conversation. It's It's a very lovely one, darling. In fact, I'm going to tell a little anecdote about your mom before we close here. Your mom always thought that Graham, that she and Graham were too young to that she she shouldn't call him her old man like everybody did back then. My old hey, this is my old lady, this is my old man. So she called Graham her old boy. Wow. And it made it into hot burrito one. It sure did. I love that song I so much. I'm your toy. I'm your old boy. I mean, it just I I can. It makes me cry. I mean, it's unbearable. Unbearable. <gasps> I know. <laughs> so so we're we're gonna end with that song. 
I hope this wasn't sad podcast. I want it to be happy. I want us to go out of this podcast remembering you and your circle skirt swaying back and forth at the Whiskey A Go Go, <laughs> watching beautiful, lengthy, long, brunette, gorgeous Graham sing Hot Burrito Number One. <laughs> okay. It was beautiful. <laughs> he sat at the piano and sang this, and it was just with those fingers, with those hands, those beautiful hands on earth. Polly got him. Honey, what is the what is the name of your website so everybody can go to it? Oh my God, so exciting! I, it, the website address is actually we are soundasever.com, spelled all the way out. We w e a r e s o u n d a s e v e r dot com. We are sound as ever. We are sound as ever. Yeah. Okay, everyone. This is Hot Burrito One. We love you. Thank you, Polly, my darling. Thank you, Miss Pamela. Thank you for being such a genius light in this world for all of us. Thank you for your raw, authentic love. Okay. I have a lot of it for you, baby. I have a lot of it for you, too, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, everyone. Bye. Wasn't that just spectacular? You guys, I'm sure you had an amazing time listening to Polly and me reminisce. <laughs> she, you know, she shared with, with you today stuff she has never spoken about in public. And I'm really grateful to her for that. And I, you know, I have a few things going on. You know, I do rock and roll tours. I have one coming up December 4th, so you can sign up for it. I do them every few weeks. My website is PamelaDayBarOfficial.com, and I sell my books, lots of photos, certain vintage items and necklaces. You know, I go nuts on there. So please visit me at PamelaDayBarOfficial.com and buy all my books. You should start with I'm with the Band. That's the first one I wrote. And it's, it was a big New York Times bestseller for many months. So it's still out there. So please read it. And thank you so much for listening to Pamela DeBar's Pajama Party. You've been listening to Pamela DeBar's Pajama Party. Produced by Aaron Alden and Christian Swain. All sound designed by Jerry Danielson and Busy Signal Studios. Find Miss Pamela at Pamela DeBar on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Find all the Pantheon podcasts at pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you find great podcasts. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Pantheon Podcasts, Rock and Roll Archaeology on Instagram, and Pantheon Pods on Twitter.
92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 